0: last time on Eclipse.
1: Your research team has been commissioned on an interplanetary expedition to Amaron. It would seem that a vessel is approaching. I am Captain Bokhtar. Prepare yourselves. I am sending a boarding party.
2: Gary, blow these dudes out into space right now. Well, that
3: might be a good time to get out of here, I think. All hostile life forms have been eliminated. Space pirates. That was wild. Location identified. Prepare for entry into a Moronian orbit.
1: Welcome to Eclipse, a Dungeons & Dragons sci-fi fantasy thriller. I'm Jeremy Fair, and I'll be your Dungeon Master.
3: I'm Adam Dweese, and I will be your Illithid Cleric, Dr. Shepard.
2: I'm Megan Kelleher, and I will be your
4: Human Monk, Ava Elkin.
3: I'm Rob Clark, and I will be your Warforged
0: Artificier, Info Ouskot.
4: I'm Whitney Mullins, and I'll be playing Lita Nove in ASMR Bard.
0: And I'm Patrick Collins, playing Kanan Vergest. The Tiefling Wild Magic Sorcerer.
1: You feel the sudden shift in pressure and direction as the eclipse is latched firmly into the moon's orbit. It only takes a moment for the Gary to counter adjust the spell coil against the moon's gravitational forces returning your sense of balance as quickly as it had left. Within moments, you were able to lower the ship softly to the ground as it loudly hisses and creaks as the cabin depressurizes to the freezing climate surrounding the ship. You have arrived at Amaron. Detecting sub-arctic temperatures in surrounding Amorian climate. Oxygen levels are low. Nitrogen levels are high. Air breathability graded at 89%.
2: Yeah, thanks, Gary.
3: Oh, that sounds like a lovely place.
2: We can make our suits protect us from the cold, right?
3: Yes, that is one of the options. After Gary telling us that it's subarctic temperatures outside, I'm going to be taking, unfortunately, the crystal out of my magicom. So hopefully I don't get separated from the rest of our group because I'll be taking that crystal and put it into the suit for the resistance to extreme cold for eight hours, and then my final one is still in my staff.
1: So the entire crew, along with the help of your arcane intelligence, the Gary, manages to safely land the Eclipse on the icy beaches of Amron. Using the coordinates provided to you by the Lord's Armada, you are able to park your ship just a few hundred feet away from the excavation site. The beach you have landed on is not only covered in ice, but it also seems to be composed of all these tall, sharp, almost spire-like boulders that are, of course, made of stone, but they also appear to be compounded with these, like, thick chunks of iron or some sort of metal, as far as you can tell. They also seem to be covered in this speckled brownish-red rust-looking substance that sort of gives the whole beach and all the temple ruins, really, a sort of unsettling appearance especially juxtaposed against the otherwise white snowy surface how would you have all parked the galactic arcane research yacht the gary in regards to the temple like like the orientation Parallel. Parallel.
5: For archaeological purposes, we shouldn't park right on top of the temple or next to the temple because we could damage something.
1: Yeah, there's enough room to where you can be a safe distance from the temple as well as a safe distance from the ocean.
0: Do we have any sort of a cloaking mechanism for the eclipse?
1: You do not. You have shields, but that's about it. You don't have any sort of cloaking mechanism. You do know that there are ships out there that have cloaking mechanisms, and there's also ships that are, you know, have much better weapons than you have. Those things are just very expensive. Even though you are all essentially part of the Lord's Armada, you are research officers, so your vessel is a research vessel, so you really aren't prepared for fighting. It's just really at the bare minimum to defend yourself. Yeah, your ship is not the type that currently has cloaking device.
3: But the question is, do we have a big green tarp? throw over it to uh, make us disappear
1: oh yeah like
2: if the sun shines in and then the dashboard gets too hot
3: well you, no one wants that
4: <laughs> can i cast invisibility on it
3: i don't think so pretty big see now patrick has brought up my whole big concern that we're gonna go in this temple and come back and gary's gonna be gone and nobody wants that
2: well we have permission to be here right
1: The Lord's Armada, I mean, they know you're here, and you got sent on, like, a mission by them.
3: I mean, I don't think it's going to get towed. (laughs) More about, like, bandits coming and getting it. Worst
2: case, we get a ticket, and I feel like we can just send that to the Lord's Armada.
1: (laughs) You're able to use your comm devices to, like, Hey, Gary, how you doing out there? Okay,
2: like a nanny cam? Oh.
1: A
3: Gary
2: cam. <laughs> a, nanny, a Gary
3: cam. Well, you can't see through it, but you can talk to him and ask. Does him. anybody still have a coil in their calm? I do. Mine's walking with I us. Do. Fantastic.
1: So is there anything else you would like to do before you open yourselves to the outside environment?
3: I would like to just ask Ava, how's the finger doing?
2: The finger's doing well, and I take my glove off and show it to Dr. Shepard, and, uh, They were able to patch it up pretty well, and um, I was able to do the rest, so it looks good as new.
3: I'm good to go then.
2: I'm going to put my glove back on, and I'm going to take Apricot, and I'm going to tuck her into, she has like a little pocket in my suit so she doesn't freeze.
1: After the crew makes all the preparations they need for their departure onto the surface of Amaron, you walk into the decompression chamber and at a vocal command to Gary, you are able to decompress and open the chamber to the outside elements. Now opening decompression chamber. The door will suddenly open and the steps um, that come down from the side of the Gary will descend down onto the icy surface below. Instantly, you feel the arctic cold rush of the outside air as it is now invading the atmosphere in this room, in this part of the ship. But each of you have taken the necessary precautions to make your Lord's Armada combat suit um, resistant to cold. So it is not really detrimental to you, but you can certainly tell a major difference in the temperature. It is very, very cold outside. You descend down the steps and you find yourself for the first time on the moon of Amaron. You are standing on a hard a frozen soil packed tightly with jagged shale stones and other embedded pebbles. You can hear the cold water crashing behind you from choppy waves of the Amorian Sea as it splashes up against the rocky beach where you've all parked your ship. The ground around you appears to be lacking any sort of visible vegetation as uh, one of the things that you notice with the exception of this very strange thick dark moss that seems frozen in patches all along these sharp rocks and it's kind of creating like a cobbled kind of dirt. Littered all along the massive beach clearing are the tattered remains of what surely was once an impressive stone veranda, flanking the front of the temple ruins that you've come to excavate. Its large spires of twisted metal and dilapidated architecture are obvious even from this distance. You're still about 500 feet away. And despite being on the beach, the air is very cold, thin, and dry, especially compared to what you're used to on Terrell and there appears to be a total lack of any insect or avian life. It's an almost eerie atmospheric silence. You just kind of hear the howl of the wind, the crashing of the waves, and that's it. The planet feels dead in a way just because you're so used to birds and bugs and things like that from where you come from. You just see off in the distance this large mountain that you have purposely parked in front of, and in the front of it you can see the ruins of what was once the temple entrance. What would you all like to do?
0: Before we get too far away from the ship, Kanan will walk over to Info's communication droid that he has now and kneel down in front of it and tap it and say, Info, how does this work? How do I talk to Gary? Well,
5: lad, you just say, Hey, Steve, hook me up with Gary. And Steve there will broadcast you
1: right to Gary. Uh, Hey,
0: Steve, hook me up to Gary. Gary, can you hear me?
1: This is Gary. How may I help you?
0: Uh, While we're gone, please maintain all security protocols and uh, definitely don't open the ship to anybody but us. Security
5: protocols engaged. I feel much better. Gotta protect that lunchbox. (laughs) Good thinking. (laughs) Alright, lads and lasses, shall we? Absolutely.
1: May as well. As you start to move closer to the Twisted Ruins, you are suddenly overwhelmed with this malodorous stench of blood or iron. The jagged stone remnants of the temple's front Perrin litter the ground in massive crumbling chunks, and there's this very dark-colored rust that's kind of permeated all across the surface of these ruins. Once again, this stone seems like it's almost more metal than it is a traditional stone. It seems to be not only covering the surface of these rocks, but it almost looks like it's growing over it, like some sort of strange biometallic mold that is both a metal and a plant at the same time. As you're looking more closely, you notice suddenly two large quadrupedal creatures that are crouched down beside one of these kind of mossy, moldy covered boulders. They appear insect-like in shape with long barbed tails, kind of like a thick scaled carapace. They kind of look as if they're digging or foraging like into the side of these stone ruins, which looks like maybe at one point in time was like steps leading up to some grand foyer. But they don't really seem to be paying you much mind. They either haven't noticed you or they just aren't interested. They seem kind of large, I would say larger than most dogs, but smaller than most cattle. And they're just, once again, these like four-legged insect things that are kind of digging into the ground. They're about 200 feet away from where you're at, and they look to be about 200 feet from the front entrance to the temple ruins. What would you like to do?
3: So we weren't here really to gather any kind of biological Information or studies or anything like that, right? It's more of a get into the temple and try to find any kind of like artifacts we can. So, like, these things wouldn't really be our concern as far as the overarching mission goes.
1: You have come to this planet specifically to research. The history of the Grimshog or the Moon Orcs,
3: but um, being part of
1: the Lord's Armada, you have an ongoing mission as research officers to constantly gather as much information about the galaxies you can. In fact, your Magicom has a built-in scanner where you can scan certain things. Now, if there's something that is common and native to Terrell, you're able to identify it pretty easily. If you were to scan something, you go, "Oh, that's an orc" or whatever. But certain things, especially creatures you never encountered before, maybe creatures that don't exist at all on your home planet of Torell, it might not be able to pick up. And so part of your ongoing mission is certainly to document and try to collect information on as much of this type of stuff as you can. All the plant life and all the animal life that you can find.
3: So it's kind of like a pokedex.
4: That's exactly what I was thinking.
5: We got a Pokédex? Yep.
3: <laughs> oh, we got to scan it.
5: You have a Gary Dex.
3: Yes. We got a deck
5: Damn it, if we didn't leave our lunchbox to catch them on the ship. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't think the lunchbox is big enough for these. Who knows? We didn't put a size on Kanan's lunchbox. Maybe Kanan's got like a lunch refrigerator.
4: It's a lunchbox of holding. <laughs> 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 That's
3: That's a thing that has to happen. Yeah, now. if it's three years salary, come on. So
1: for Kanan, how about this? It it literally is a lunchbox holding. It The only stipulation is it has to be food. Okay. (laughs) So it literally, like, won't accept things that aren't food, which is why Ava was unable to completely close the lunchbox earlier. But
4: once it died...
3: It's food for something. Yeah.
4: I about to say, the lunchbox let it in there, so it must have thought it was potentially food.
3: Potential food. It
1: had the potential energy to be food. Potential
3: energy. Potential food energy.
2: Exactly. Anything could be food. Uh, with the right attitude.
5: Uh, I can, I can actually use an infusion to make his lunchbox a bag of holding.
1: Well, there
2: you Uh, go.
3: Like a legit holding, and not just food holding.
2: Then you can put forks in and stuff.
3: Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's forks, even.
2: Listen, gang, last time I tried to communicate with creatures, they ate all of my ferret treats and zapped my hand with an ice beam, so I don't know if anybody else is feeling a little more animal whispery than I am today.
4: I mean, last time I communicated with anyone, they tried to board our ship and kill us, so I don't really think that I am one to talk to people right now either.
5: Oi, alright. Let me go over. Come on, Steve. Info's gonna just march over there with Steve and Rodney following him boys my crew
1: where are you gonna march up to exactly
5: uh the closest quadrupedal bug thing
3: i do have something real quick so what i'm trying to do is i've got something called vigilant blessing which i apparently i can just do this uh it's an action you can give a creature you touch uh including myself advantage on the next initiative roll and it just lasts until an initiative roll is made or until i use a feature on somebody else And I think since Ava is like our security, (laughs) our bouncer, I'm going to give it to her. And so I'm just going to like lean in, uh, put my hand on her shoulder and just be like, "Mm, if things don't go well, just keep your eyes peeled. You got it, Doc. So if anything pops off, Ava will have advantage on initiative.
0: I'm not walking up to that thing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) follow but I'm not like friendly and warm and cuddly enough to make a fantastic impression I'm just kind of bringing up the rear in case that things go badly
0: I was just going to suggest that we observe from afar and just report what we can
2: okay then yes I will hang back
1: just me and the tin boys So Info and Rodney, as you're marching your way across the surface, it's more icy than it is snowy. I mean, there is uh, bits of snow here and there, but because of the amount of nitrogen in the atmosphere, it's just not forming snow in the same way you might expect. And there's just a lot less of it. What is there is kind of powdery. So the ground itself is actually pretty hard. I mean, it just seems like frozen rock. So for the two of you with your mechanical feet, you're actually able to get across the ground pretty easily. You have pretty good traction, and you are making your way up towards where these two creatures seem to be burrowing into the side of what you can now tell is definitely a stone set of stairs. They're obviously broken and and in multiple pieces, but at one point they seem like they probably were a pretty grand piece of architecture. What is your intention as you are approaching?
5: Info's intention is to get close enough to try to communicate with them in some way. He's got Steve with him as well, so he and Rodney and Steve are a trio of metallic-looking creatures walking up to these guys, hoping to peacefully shoo them away or communicate with them.
1: So you start to walk over, and you see these two creatures digging into the side of this ice-covered stone. Once again, they seem decently large. They're certainly slightly larger than your Iron Defender, but they, you know, are not enormous. They're smaller than a horse. They're smaller than a cow or something like that. But they are very insect-like, except that they don't have six legs. They only have four. And um, they seem to be covered in some sort of layered, like, armor carapace, which, given the kind of harsh environment of this moon, as far as you can tell... It seems to make a lot of sense that they would have something like that. As you get closer, you do actually see them suddenly both stop moving entirely. They have these kind of long antennas that seem to be coming from, like, the sides of their temples. And then they kind of, like, go up in the air in, like, a loop. And both those start to shake kind of violently, like, vibrating very quickly to where it's it's even hard for you with your cybernetic eyes to really see them as they're moving so quick. And both these things will turn and look directly at you, Info. They both suddenly seem very interested in your presence. They are both holding their ground, but you see them begin to take their mandibles and grind them together and it doesn't sound great, um, especially to your, I would imagine oversensitive biomechanical ears.
5: As I approach them and they start making that sound, I'm going to move my hand down to my hand axe and I'm going to use magical tinkering and stand perfectly still and record six seconds of that sound. And after the six seconds is up, I'm going to trigger the sound that I recorded on my hand axe. So I'm making the same sound that they
1: are. So yeah, you're able to record this rather obnoxious noise and repeat it back to them perfectly. You notice their antennae stop for a second and they both kind of back up. They seem to be reacting to it. And you see just the way that they're, based on their body language, they seem to be, like, lowering down almost into, like, the way a cat looks before it's about to pounce. Would you like to do one more thing?
5: I'm going to lean over a little bit to Rodney and go, Would you step in front of me, lad? And my little coffee maker man is going to just kind of (laughs) insert himself in front of me there. I'm going to slowly pull my crossbow up.
1: Yeah, Rodney starts kind of... You know, skittering across the icy rock and gets right in front of you as you start to knock another bolt onto your crossbow. And just as you do that, the one closest to you leaps. Its legs, which were poised to strike, um, extend, and it leaps at you in a kind of predatory manner. What do you want to do with that crossbow bolt?
5: Uh, I'm going to shout, Oh, haggis! And then I'm going to shoot the crossbow at him.
1: All right, roll. Sixteen. That hits. Even damage.
3: I think at this, I I think we're all probably gonna come to info's aid. Yeah,
2: Ah Haggis is my cue
5: generally.
3: (laughs) Uh, For a bonus
5: action, can I uh, just yell "Sickum" and have my have Steve and Rodney attack as well? Steve and Rodney. Yeah, they both get initiative the same numbers I do and everything so they both get to act when I do
1: yes for both my clarity and the listeners what does Steve look like and what does Rodney look like because I mean I realize now that there's two there I need to be able to differentiate them in my mind well Steve is just set of spindly legs <laughs> and
5: spindly arms, just like almost like a T one thousand from Terminator two where he's just got these two like liquid metal legs and arms and his main body is my Magicom. So that's just sort of this like eye, just like lanky walking around with his legs and arms all spindly. And Rodney is the one that's the fancy Breville looking coffee maker with the spindly arms and the Mickey Mouse hands and the two sets of like little tread feet that he just scoots around on and he goes beep boop.
1: Okay, well now that that's clear in my mind and I drew little
5: pictures of them. <laughs> he actually has like a little steamer nozzle because I like to make cappuccinos on the gary and so sometimes that'll just
1: like spits out a little bit when he gets scared. <laughs> <laughs> Huge mood. Um, so does an 11 hit? Uh, me, no. So this thing leaps at you but as you shoot it with the crossbow you seem to slow it down, it doesn't make it to you and then Rodney attacks.
5: Okay, Rodney's going to use his Force Empowered Rend. Uh, Let's see. Crap, that was only a six.
1: I mean, you managed to hit it with that crossbow bolt, but between this thing leaping at you, Rodney only basically manages to not get attacked himself. Uh, He's not able to complete the attack. So Ava... So you see this thing, like off in the distance, you know, you see his arms moving, you can't really hear what he's saying, but it looks like he's trying to communicate with this thing. And then suddenly one of them just turns and leaps at him. How do you react?
2: I think as soon as I hear ah haggis, that's my cue to go help out and fulfill my role as the uh, muscle, I guess. So I, yeah, I'm going to dash over. So with just a dash action, I can get 130 feet.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a monk yeah
2: you said it was more than that though right
1: yeah it was like 200 feet away
2: okay um then I yes yeah, so I'll get the dash 130 and then as a bonus action I will step the wind and that will get me the rest of the way
1: okay so with one turn you move 200 feet
2: sure do uh that's about all I can do but I am there and say right here
4: with you info
1: Ava comes running up beside the info that means we go to Lita
4: Okay, well, Lita is not that fast, but she will run as fast as she can in that general direction. Uh, Using her action to dash, she can go 60 feet, and that is all she can do to get up there. So, Lita,
1: you're going to come running up. Do you have anything ranged?
4: No, everything's like 30 feet, 60 feet, so I'm not quite in range
1: yet. All right, info. Ava comes running up right next to you suddenly, and it is now your turn. Oh, alas, where'd you come from? Uh
5: Never mind, we'll talk later. Is Rodney in between me and the snippy bopper dude who's trying to pounce on my face? Like, am I engaged with him? Like, would I be giving him an opportunity attack if I backed He's away? He's like
1: five or six feet away. I mean, you'd have to get within melee distance to do a melee attack, so you'd have to move around Rodney.
5: Then I am going to back up, like, ten feet, and I am going to... Pew him with the crossbow, so 14. So
1: hit. you load up another crossbow and you shoot and you hit. You just barely hit this thing. You almost had missed it, but you managed to catch it, kind of like right in the side of one of its ten
5: Hit him for 10
1: damage. 10 damage. All right. So yeah, you shoot that crossbow and it hits it right in the side of one of its antennae. In response, it just lets out this horrid screech and then it starts making that really obnoxious metal grinding noise again with its mandibles. You seem to have heard it, but if anything, it just looks all the more interested in trying to attack you. Anything else?
5: See, I'll use another Rodney attack here to see if he can hit him with the force and power to rend. That was bad.
1: Yeah, um, Rodney misses really bad. I would like for you to roll me a D100, please.
5: What's this? Damn it, Rodney.
1: Well, it's pretty bad. So Rodney not only misses, but he stumbles forward and he actually rolls onto the ground, falling prone. Hey, wee lad, get your ass up. Anything else before we go to Dr. Shepard? No, Steve's just gonna face palm next to Rodney. Poor Rodney. Yeah, your little coffee maker buddy slips and tumbles to the ground. He is very bad at combat. <laughs> Makes a hell of a cappuccino, but sucks at
5: shooting
3: stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's bad at beating ass, but really good at making cappuccino. Great barista.
2: Me in real life. But. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right,
1: Shepard, what are you going to do?
3: I mean, I am really I don't have anything that uh, long of distance, so I think it's going to be me running the 30 feet, dashing the... Uh, additional 30 feet to get six feet as far as I can and then am I 60 feet from any of the crew that are up on them or am I, I'm still beyond 60 feet from them you right? and
1: Lita have both sprinted forward as far as you can about 60 feet so you're close to Lita Kanan's uh, most likely gonna be not far behind you but you are still like more than 100 feet away from them Ava's just super fast it's kind of crazy.
3: I'm sorry, Lita. I feel like Shield of Faith on you may be wasted because I don't know if you're going to get attacked in the next round. So uh, that's all I will do. I will not use any bonus actions. Dr. Shepard is running up and trying to get to Ava and Info to try to keep them as protected as he can. This
1: creature had all of its attention focused on um, Info at first, but after Rodney slipped and fell right beside it. It now turns and it'll start chattering its big metallic mandibles together again and it's going to attempt to attack Rodney. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jerundu. And we are the hosts of Dice Talk on the Majestic Goose Podcast Network. Dice Talk is a Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop podcast that dives into the deep topics of tabletop role-playing games.
0: Join us as we speak with passionate content creators, podcasters, authors, and more as we discuss all manner of tabletop and geek-related content.
1: Dice Talk is a bi-weekly show, so we're hitting your podcatchers with fresh new episodes every other week filling your ears with exclusive interviews and conversations that you can't find anywhere else.
0: Every episode is a new opportunity to hear from different creators in the tabletop community and just talk about Dungeons & Dragons and any other tabletop games that have made us who we are.
1: Dice Talk, now on the Majestic Goose Podcast Network. Make sure you check us out and subscribe so you never miss an episode.
3: A Majestic Goose Podcast.
0: Do you suffer from chronic storytelling dysfunction? Do you find you're overrun with trite tropes and cliche character patterns? Well, you're not alone.
2: In my old age, I was tired of boring stories, but thanks to Dice Chronicles, I feel young again.
0: If you suffer from a lack of creative world building or one-dimensional character development, Dice Chronicles may be just what you need. My characters always felt flat and unable to perform, but with Dice Chronicles, I'm not afraid of being my true self. Before I started listening to Dice Chronicles, I felt so alone in my hunger, but now I'm a first-rate villain. Dice Chronicles gave me a purpose, but most importantly, it gave me a terrible French accent. Hi, I'm Yarn, and before Dice Chronicles, I used to be terrified of magic, but now after just a few episodes, I've got magic pouring out of my eyeballs. I used to suffer from crippling anxiety, but thanks to Dice Chronicles, now I only suffer from anxiety from going on an adventure with my friends. Dice Chronicles is not responsible for rolling natural ones, TPKs, or the general feeling that our characters are better than yours. Ask your DM today if Dice Chronicles is right for you. Find us at podbean.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
1: After Rodney slipped and fell right beside it, it now turns and it'll start chattering its big metallic mandibles together again and it's going to attempt to attack rodney that is 14 rodney's ac is so this thing attempts to attack rodney but it is not quite able to because rodney is so small that it like went to attack him right when he slipped. so rodney fell to the ground and though it knocked him prone it actually kind of temporarily saved him from perhaps being this creature's next meal the one behind it though seems equally interested in Rodney and that one is going to suddenly turn and start chattering those mandibles together again and it's going to skitter forward on its four legs and then it too will attempt to bite Rodney that one's going to be a 17 to hit that hits him It hits Rodney for 7 piercing damage oh, can I have Rodney make a dexterity saving throw please? 21. Yeah, this thing bites him and you see it like reach its front claws for it. It's attempting to grip him with these kind of frontal feet. But Rodney, um, though he got bit, he was fast enough to at least not get pulled further into this thing's clutches. And we will then move on to Kanan
0: i would see my compatriots take off in that direction and join them and dash to get a full movement of 60 feet and that eats up my action so that's it for me
1: Kanan comes sprinting forward to catch up with lita and dr shepherd and then we move back up to ava ava you have just arrived at info side you see that these creatures failed to attack him but they are now torturing poor little rodney what are you gonna do
2: We can't have that. I'm definitely going to move in. How far away am I from them?
1: I mean, you're only like eight feet away or something.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Um, Well, they're both attacking Rodney.
1: Yeah, it seems like they both have completely turned their attention on Rodney.
2: All right. I'm going to try and action and bonus action, just two unarmed strikes, try and punch each of them. So that's a 23 and a 24 to hit. So first one's going to be Six damage to one of them and then five damage to the second one and on the second one i'm gonna do also hands of harm for an additional three necrotic damage
1: so you rush forward and just start berating both of these creatures with your fists and you are noticeably putting dents in the carapace shell on this creature and just like the strange moss that seems to be growing thickly on all these uh, rock and metallic surfaces you feel like this thing is made of metal something about this planet has like this weird bio mechanical like nature to it everything seems to be a mix of both metals and plants that you've never seen before but sure enough you were literally denting these things as you are punching them with your fists and you're absolutely dealing quite a bit of damage to both of them however they're both still standing anything else
4: Uh,
2: No, that's going to be
1: it for me. All right, Lita, you are running forward. What would you like to do? Just continue to sprint closer?
4: Yeah, I'm going to continue my sprint forward and move another 60 feet using my action to dash. So I still have about 80 feet before I get up to where they are.
1: Okay, so Lita comes sprinting forward, and yeah, you're about 80 feet from your destination. You feel like you'll be able to get there in maybe the next 6 or 10 seconds, but every second counts when it comes to combat especially with strange creatures like this we will now move to info info what are you going to do you see ava running forward and just starting to pummel these things with her fists as she's trying to save rodney are you just gonna stand there and watch the one that i already shot with the crossbow
5: i'm going to shout at him oi you little bastard get off my laddie And i'm gonna shoot him with my crossbow okay
1: boo yeah that's gonna miss
5: and as a bonus action,
1: i gonna be like, Rodney, you wee little bastard, get up. Punch him in the frickin' mouth. Rodney stands up. He's no longer prone. Go ahead and roll attack. Ooh. Rodney's pissed. What does it look like when Rodney attacks this thing? That definitely hits.
5: Rodney gets up and his little indicator lights for cappuccino and latte glow red. And he does that, like, Henry Cavill arm reload thing. And the steam hisses out of his little steamer, and he just slugs it with a fortune-powered rend.
1: So you deal eight damage to this thing as you just start to hit it with that metallic rend, and he is pummeling this thing in the face right where you had hit it with the crossbow bolt previously. And as it's punching it, it'll take its antennas and suddenly, like try to wrap them around Rodney in a way and as it does Rodney's the metallic bits on his arms start to suddenly like cover in a strange like orange metallic rust. Rodney has negative 1 to AC.
3: Ah, uh, haggis. And probably negative 1 to coffee taste too. Jeez.
5: Yeah. Just ruined the coffee for the whole crew.
1: Info as a warforge you've been warned of a few things in the world and these are one of them you know that you are dealing with some rust monsters that are not great for a forge, nor any of his little mechanical buddies. I shite. <laughs> um, it now seems clear to you that they were foraging. They were eating the rust that seems to be growing like a moss among all these strange metallic rocks and the ruins of this temple. And now that you think about it, they just look slightly different because of the way they developed on this different landscape. But there are certainly rust monsters. There's some variety of them. Awesome sauce. We go down to Dr.
3: Shepard. So, obviously, I'm going to continue moving forward, and I will now have advanced a total of 90 feet.
1: Mm -hmm. See, about 110 to go.
3: Yeah, 110 to go, which is fine because sometimes the best defense... Is a good offense so I'm going to hold out my spell coil staff and I'm going to I'm gonna hit the one that's currently calcifying Rodney okay but I'm kind of picturing this is probably a little bit more advanced maybe like a metal shaft and then on the, on the end of it is a like a teal crystal that is kind of the actual core and source of the magic and i just as i'm running i've got that on my back and i hold it out and it just shoots a purple thin beam of arcane purple energy that goes and hits without fail into this creature whopping three points of damage it could have been much higher
1: So yeah, you attack the one that has taken the most damage, the one that has been hit the most, the one that has gotten hit by the crossbow bolt, and the one that seems to be trying to devour Rodney, but it is not quite enough as you only hit it for that three damage. After you hit it, it looks up now, and it it doesn't put together that someone in the further distance must have been the one to attack it. It just assumes the thing closest to it must have been the thing that hurt it. And this thing suddenly is looking straight at Ava, and it's just chattering its metallic teeth together again, and it is going to leap at her.
5: Rodney does actually have one that would be useful here. Deflect attack. The defender imposes disadvantage on the attack roll of one creature it can see that is within five feet of it, provided the attack roll is against a creature other than the defender.
1: Awesome. So yeah, this one that has been damaged the most and was trying to eat Rodney, it leaps towards Ava to try to attack her. How does it deflect this attack? What does it look like as it creates advantage?
5: Rodney spins and shoots a bunch of steam right in its face from his little steamer
1: nozzle. <laughs> it is enough to distract the rust monster to where it misses the attack. The other one is then going to turn and now flanking Rodney, it will attack Rodney. It hits Rodney for 5 damage. Um, I need Rodney to make a constitution save.
5: And he rolled an 8.
1: And with a failed con roll, he loses 1 AC. He's down to 13 AC now. Oh, no. And now we move on to Kanan.
0: Okay. At that point, I will twin a Firebolt using my metamagic ability and cast Firebolt at the two Rust Monsters. Okay. So a 22 and a 14.
1: So they both hit. They roll for damage.
0: So seven on one and eight on the other. Whoa. The
1: one that has taken the most damage, you hit it for eight, and that is exactly the amount you need to kill it. What does that look
0: like? As I'm running forward, I raise my hand up, and you watch two orange-red embers spark off of each side of my hand and fly out towards both of these creatures. The first one hitting the one that was harassing Rodney right in the center of its face, and it starts to burn away bits of its face, and then it collapses to the ground.
1: Okay, Ava?
2: All right, well, I'm going to punch it right where it got fire bolted in the face, Just sort of add insult to injury on that. Does a 15 hit? It's yes. It's going to be five bludgeoning damage.
1: All right. You just punch it for five bludgeoning damage, and because your fists are not metal, you take no negative effects. Lita, what would you like to do? Well,
4: apparently can shoot a magic missile out of my stab from where I'm at. So it's plus intelligence. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's nine.
1: What does it look like when you kill this other rust monster, Lita, from 110 feet away?
4: I kind of am sprinting, and then she thinks to herself, Why am I doing this? I have a staff. And then she pulls the titanium staff with the teal crystal off her back and kind of, like, wizard casts towards it, and is like this magical pink floating missile shoots out of it and hits it right in the forehead.
1: And when you do... It's enough for it to only let out one final disgruntled cry before it just collapses to the ground. And now both of them appear to be lifeless.
4: Yeah, it wasn't useless. No (laughs) sh
3: That's a shame we had to kill them.
1: Now you all find yourself just standing in the silence before this mountainside where this stone temple is built right into the side of the wall. You are now standing in what used to be A foyer leading up to the front of this temple, but now it is just an assortment of eroded rocks and ruins and, like I said before, twisted bits of metal, all of which is covered in not just rust, but a mold, a mildewy, mold, mossy type rust that seems to be growing and like it seems to have almost like a life of its own.
5: I'm going to lean over Rodney and go, it's okay, laddie. You, You fix yourself up for a minute. We'll take a breather here. And Rodney will use his repair ability as his as an action to regain some hit points. Twelve.
3: I know that artificers can use mending to heal their pets. Can other people that have mending use mending to heal artificer pets? Doctor Shepard has mending, also. I
0: do, also.
1: What I will let you do, which isn't a normal rule, I will allow you to use mending both of you to try to heal the missing AC that was removed from the rust monster only because it's like this creature he could basically produce during a long rest anyways. I wouldn't let you do that for like a person.
3: Yeah I'll just go up and pull up my like soldering iron that I use half for stitching up wounds and half for metallic. It's a it's a two for oneer, uh, and I just gotta make sure I get it on the right setting each time as I uh, patch up Randy. It was Randy, right? Rodney. Rodney. It was close.
1: <laughs> All right, yeah, you're able to use Mending, and because this is a artificial construct, you are able to kind of easily repair the a little bit of damage that Rodney had taken and remove some of the rust. However, in doing so, you realize it's lucky that it wasn't Info who had this because you don't think that you'd be able to repair him in the same way. But now that you managed to get Rodney back into good repair... What would the rest of you like to do? You have all finally caught up, and now all five of you stand less than 100 feet away from the entrance of this grand temple that you've been traveling towards for the past couple of days. I'd
0: like to ask Dr. Shepard if he has any glass vials that I could collect some of this this mold or moss or whatever is growing on the, the landscape around here and use one of my daggers to scrape it up into a little vial. Yeah.
1: You're able to scrape off a little bit of it and put it into some sort of container if you would like. Are there
0: any rocks on the ground around, like little pieces?
1: There are. There's a lot of rocks. You can certainly find a a little piece of stone that's covered in this rust-like material. I want
0: to throw that in with the rust stuff that I've collected just to see if over time what will happen. Okay. cap that up and put it in a pouch
1: absolutely yeah you're able to put that away and save that for later so you can observe is there anything else the rest of you would like to do i think while
2: these guys are uh doing their extremely scientific data collecting apricot is going to poke her head out of her little pocket in my suit and kind of give a little sniff to (laughs) i guess like a rock or whatever is closest by that has this kind of moss on it she has a very keen sense of smell
1: yeah it definitely smells like iron like it it, um very much has like that kind of like a like blood type smell to it, but you can definitely tell this is some sort of iron-based mineral that might be some sort of ore where it's mixed in, but this like rust mold or whatever it is seems to feed off of this iron, and it seems to like leach off of it and grow on it in the way that moss might grow on the side of a tree.
2: I can tell that by the way that her whiskers twitch when she smells it. It's got to be iron.
4: So... Lita would probably be, like, torn between wanting to just go up to the temple and start exploring and wanting to find out more about these creatures. So she would probably take the time to, like, go up to them and, like, examine the way that they're built and see if, like, they're similar to anything that she's seen before or heard about.
1: Sure, why don't you do an investigation check? It's really good. Lita, you look at this thing and you know a lot about it. Just studying it for a few minutes, all of the training and all of the schooling that you've gone through, it's all coming in handy at this moment. You know that it is, in fact, some variety of rust monster that you know could be found in Terrell, but this one has some variation to it. You notice that its scales feel a little bit thicker. You notice that the material seems more like it itself is composed of iron As well. And then you also notice it has these kind of strange textures kind of woven into its shell that make patterns that are almost like a spiral type shape that are very, very different than the Rust monsters that are normally found on Torell. And another thing you notice is its mandibles seem way stronger than those that are commonly found on your home planet. It might be able to affect different items that the Normal rust monsters you're used to might not be able to affect.
4: So it could affect items?
1: Well, you know that a normal rust monster attracted to devour anything made of metal. They want to eat it and devour it, and their saliva like turns it into a rusty dust that they can then eat. The stipulation is normally magic items are free from this. You're not so sure with this one. It seems there's something about it that, like, it just seems so much stronger and so much more powerful. And it itself almost seems to have some sort of, like, slight magical aura to it that you can just barely sense. You don't really know much about it without spending more time or casting spells or anything, but you just feel that it does have some sort of aura to it.
4: So she would look at everybody and be like, these rust monsters are very different than the ones back at home on Toral. They're Quite more powerful than anything that we're used to. I'm not convinced that our magic items would be safe if they were to get a hold of them.
5: Uh, excuse me, but uh what about those of us that are that are uh metal ourselves here? I I'm not really worried about her items, I'm worried about my arse.
4: <laughs> yeah, and so we can actually learn more, I probably would not get in close quarters with them if I were you.
5: All right, lads, you hear that? Don't let him touch you. Rodney like pulls a piece of cloth off your coat and like squirts some coffee on it and starts rubbing it on the rusty spots on his arms, trying to like rub it off.
3: Like, bleep, bleep, bleep. I mean, I think we're gonna be taking just at least a few minutes to recuperate, at least get Rodney back, his armor class back with uh, Doctor Shepard and Kanan, repairing Rodney, and then I don't see anything stopping us from going into the temple. Yeah.
1: So after taking a few moments to patch up a few of your wounds, study the strange rust monsters that are native to this moon, and making sure that Rodney is in better repair, you all begin to head finally into the temple that you have been seeking out for so long. You walk towards the grand entrance, which looks like at one point it might have been a very large pair of stone double doors, but they have all but eroded away at this point the only thing left you can see are kind of these damaged very rusty iron hinges that they themselves are about a foot long and they seem to be all that remain of the doorway entrance to this temple instead you see a large black rectangular opening that seems to descend into total darkness the temple appears to be subterranean in nature or at least the entrance is and as you were examining the front of it you see no light you hear no sound coming from inside are you all going to enter yes if
4: we need i can cast light so we have light of some sort if we want to do that and i will i guess look at everyone and say well shall we go in after you
3: how many people don't have dark vision me
4: i don't but i have my magic on too
2: i can switch that on if we feel like we need it
3: Once per long rest, I could use my Eyes of the Night feature, which I can grant range 300-foot dark vision to two creatures at a time, lasting an hour. Only one hour, though.
4: Might
2: be worth it to err on the side of caution until we know what we're getting into.
3: My Homunculus and
5: my Steel Defender both have 60-foot dark vision, so not too worried about
3: it. Dr. Shepard will just place a hand on Ava and Info, Scott, and... Just grant them 300-foot dark vision for an hour through the magic of Salem.
1: And as you manage to bless both of them, you can see into the darkness in front of you. Slowly your eyes adjust, and now all five of you are able to see down into these dark steps that seem to descend deeper into the earth. And as you move forward, you descend into the darkness, finding the ancient subterranean temple to be a respite to the cold, dry wind outside. Scanning the area as you walk, you're unable to detect any sort of light or movement coming from within. All is very still and very quiet at first, and then you suddenly hear something shift in the darkness above you, and a voice will grumble.
0: Who has come at last to my abode?
1: Ah, oh, haggis. This is Jeremy, your DM. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Eclipse. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did when we were recording it. We had a lot of fun. It's really, really hard to ever stop, no matter how late it gets. The next episode of Eclipse will release in two weeks, so make sure that you subscribe to Eclipse so you never miss any of our episodes. And if you've enjoyed Eclipse, please tell your friends about us. Please go wherever you like to get your podcasts and leave us a review. Those things are super helpful, especially for a brand new podcast. You can keep up to date with all of the Eclipse content by following us on Twitter. That's at Pod. We are super, super active on Twitter. And you can also go to TheEclipsePod.com where you can learn about our show and our crew and the voice actors that are playing the characters on Eclipse. Eclipse is part of the Majestic Goose Podcast Network, so you'll definitely want to go and check that out as well. We are home to over a dozen amazing podcasts and streams, everything from actual plays to talk shows. We even do a weekly live nerdy craft stream on Twitch. So we really do all of it here at the Majestic Goose Network. We release new content six days a week with shows like Doom Clock, One Shot Onslaught, Halfway to Heroes, Dice Talk, Roll for Weird, and many, many more. So go to MajesticGoose.com and check out all of that awesome stuff that we're doing. Check out our streaming schedule and come say hi to us. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll talk to you next time on Eclipse.